Okay, it's eight o'clock. We're going to look into the story of uh, Miriam, Aaron, and Moshe. Right, a story that everybody knows, but it's not always so easy to figure out exactly what was going on. So let's look at the psukim. The psukim say that the Bible Yavah Aaron de Moshe al odot haisha hakushit asher lakach. Now, there's no obvious meaning for this Pasuk. We don't know why they did it. We don't know what they did. And we don't know what it was that they said about Moshe Rabbein. So that leaves us, that's 0 for 3. And since that's all there is in the Pasuk, I would say that we don't understand. But we all know that Chazal tried to fill in the blanks. And they were talking about Lashon Hara, and Moshe Rabbeinu was uh, perhaps in the eyes of Miriam and Aaron not doing, so, uh, doing something that was not perfectly correct. And that had something to do with the Isha Kushit, and who the Isha Kushit is, we don't know. Maybe it was Tzipporah, his wife. Why was she called an Isha Kushit? We don't know that either. But we take some sort of a stand that Moshe Rabbeinu was... Um, was acting in an un- unacceptable family way. That's, and, and Miriam and Aaron were very angry about this. So the Pesach says, Vatidaber, Miriam and Aaron. Singular, about a plural. Now that's not Vatidaber singular, right? Moshe and Aaron, the plural, there are two of them. Uh, okay, so you could say, you could say Abshat, like, they were both acting as one. Right, they both were together, so together on this that it was as though they were only one. There was only one. So you see that the Torah didn't want to repeat the Lashon Hara about Moshe Rabbeinu because that would be a poor educational tactic. The Torah would talk Lashon Hara about Moshe Rabbeinu even though in the name of Aaron and Miriam that would not be good. So this is the nature of Lashon Hara. Once you think that, there's, that the person that you're talking about did something wrong, then you, you continue the idea of Lashon Hara by saying, by saying like, you know, are you better than me? Who said that you're better? In any event, you know, like, well, you, have, you have no independent status. So all of a sudden, Aaron and, Aaron and um, Miriam, they thought they put this in. They add this. They said, not only is Moshe Rabbeinu guilty, but he thinks he's better than we are. And why is he better than we are? And then you come to this theological uh, 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 conundrum. Hello, Dambanu Diber. <coughs> and after all, at Har Sinai, HaKadosh Baruch spoke to everybody. And if HaKadosh Baruch spoke to everybody, so what's the difference with Moshe Rabbeinu? And this is, a, this is a, a question. This is a question. Like, what was the difference between the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu and the prophecy of others? And so we generally, you know, we all know about the Rambam. The Rambam says in Hechus Sodi Torah, the seventh parrot, the Rambam says, that there was a difference, that somehow 
only Moshe Rabbeinu could have been the primary uh, transmitter of the Torah. Every, there were other prophets, it's true. And there were even prophets who taught us Torah that we wouldn't have known otherwise. The, the, the Chazal talk about something called Minhag uh, HaNeviyim something that came to us through the Vim, which is very similar to Halachala Moshe and Sinai in that it has biblical authority, perhaps. Right? I mean, I keep hedging my bets here because we can't get into all of these topics. But prophecy is a very serious thing in the, in the, in the Torah. And the, and the people who are prophets are very serious people. And yet, everybody agrees, just like there are distinctions in prophecy, right, there are more serious prophets and less serious prophets. The least serious prophet, according to the, to the designation of the Rambam in the Moran Nebuchim, the least serious prophet is Daniel. Daniel. Remember Daniel? It's at the end of the Tanakh. Daniel. So why is Daniel the least serious prophet that we have? Because Daniel himself didn't understand his own prophecy. And not only didn't he understand his own prophecy, but there was no one around to explain it to him. As in the case of the prophet Zechariah. Remember the last three prophets were Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Those are the last three prophets. So the prophet Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah also didn't understand his prophecy. But there was an angel who came and explained it to Zechariah. So again, the lowest level prophet was Daniel. Above him was Zechariah, because neither of them understood the prophecy. Zechariah had the prophecy explained to him. Right? And then there are levels of prophecy you know, all along in the Tanakh, which the Rambam tries to organize in some kind of a structure. But for the Rambam, it's very important to note that Moshe Rabbeinu had a unique standing. And only he was able to transmit the Torah. So that when the Mishnah in Turkey Avot says, Moshe Kibel Torah Sinai Masarali Yoshua, there's a difference between Moshe Kibel, because Moshe received from God, whereas Yoshua received from Moshe. So that in order to be Yoshua, it's a lot easier to be Yoshua than to be Moshe. To be Moshe, you really have to have some special capacity. So here you have Aaron and Miriam arguing at that point. They say, yeah, we know you're a prophet, Moshe, and you brought down the Torah, Moshe, and we also were there at the time of the prophecy. However, however, what they did not understand was, or they didn't seem to recognize, was that they, Aaron and Miriam, could not have played the role of Moshe Rabbeinu. And if there was no one except Aaron and and Miriam, the Torah wouldn't have been given. Because you needed Moshe Rabbeinu as the conduit for the Torah. It wasn't an accidental, but it was a necessary quality that Moshe Rabbeinu had that made it possible for the Torah to come into the world. Here the Torah takes the trouble to explain to us that Moshe Rabbeinu is unique. Right? And I've told you this many times, that anava, that humility, is that which distinguishes men from other men, according to the Torah. Men, women, women also. Women can also be humble. That humility is the divine quality. Humility is the divine quality. And what does humility mean? 
Humility means that you're always standing before God. That's what humility is. So if you are a person who is always standing before God, then you can't be bothered by trivial matters, like, you know, like who sits in the front and who sits in the back. I mean, these things can't possibly bother you because you're standing before God. So that, so it was, that was the response to Aaron and Miriam. The response to Aaron and Miriam is that Moshe Rabbeinu has a quality that you don't have. And that quality is called anava, super anava. That super anava is what makes it possible for Moshe Rabbeinu to stand before God. And that standing before God enables Moshe Rabbeinu to bring the Torah into the world. That's what the Pesukim say. Every word in these, in this, uh, in these Pesukim is noteworthy. Noteworthy means it at least deserves a note, a footnote. At least, Go to the old It's like a little drama. Like, here's Aaron and Miriam. They put in their complaint, but now they're being called to the principal's office, and they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what a Kodesh Bokh is going to say. So first, the Kodesh Bokh gives Aaron and Miriam a kind of a lesson. Teaches them. Listen, you know, he's talking about Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu is Moshe Rabbeinu. He's the one who has direct access to God. To information that God produces. And you, you're not in that, in that parish at all. Then, he, then, then we drive it home. Pel pel de ben bo marev lo bechidot. Utmunat Hashem yabit madu lo yreto de ben ba'avdim Moshe. So I don't know what any of these things mean. But you pel pel de marev. But the sachakol, the, the, the cumulative force of all of these words is Moshe Rabbeinu is special. And Moshe Rabbeinu's relationship to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is also special. It's also special. Pasuk Ket. Vayichar af Hashem pam vayelach. So now that's the beginning of the story. Vayichar. What's the Vayichar? That Moshe Rabbeinu, after all, they should have known this. Who should have known that Moshe Rabbeinu was special if not Aaron and Miriam? And that's a cause for anger. Just like HaKadosh Baruch Hu got angry at Yonah. Right? It is when a Kodesh Bohu, the anger of a Kodesh Bohu is about, it's about Yonah not knowing what he should have known. It's about Miriam and Aaron not knowing what they should have known. That's called Vayichar. It's not the goddess to get angry or not get angry. It doesn't make any difference. But for us, it's a signpost that this was not just bad reasoning on their part, but this is something that they should have known and they did not know it. Vayichar af. Hashem Bam Vayelach. Vanan Sami Allah Oel, the name Miriam Mitzurat Keshalek. Even our other Miriam in Mitzurat. So now there's like a little mystery here. Right? Who's punished? Miriam is punished. What about Aaron? Aaron just looks. Vayifen. Aaron El Miriam, the Mitzurat. So why is he Mitzorat? Why is he not punished? Why does he look and see what's happening to her? Vayom Aronu Moshe bi Adoni. Halna tashet alenu chatat ashenu alno v'shechatano a posit that you should know from the high holidays. Again, 
here's Aaron. Aaron is the is the intermediary, right, between the situation that Miriam is in and Moshe Rabbeinu. In other words, he appeals to Moshe Rabbeinu. He appeals to Moshe Rabbeinu as though to say, if you, Moshe Rabbeinu, remain angry with Miriam, then there's no way to change the state that she's in. But if you, Moshe Rabbeinu, will forgive her, we know that that's how it is, Ben Adam L'chaveiro, right, Erev Yom Kippur, you have to go with Fayes. Even a person who, who is contrite, who is Choseh B'tshuva, has to, has to uh, uh, comfort the person that he uh, did this evil, the evil deed to. How mat he kamet? He says, don't let this happen, Moshe Rabbeinu. Let her be punished in this way. Now the last pasuk is the pasuk that interests us especially. By its ak Moshe el Hashem leimor. By its ak Hashem, by its ak Moshe el Hashem leimor el no refer no more. So there's a story. There's a story in which Miriam and Aaron take a stand against Moshe Rabbeinu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu explains to Moshe and Aaron why this stand is so unreasonable, so unacceptable. The story ends with Moshe Rabbeinu davening for Miriam who became a mitzorah. Naturally, we'd like to know what the difference of Miriam in this story and Aaron in this story is. So maybe Miriam was the instigator Maybe she's the one who thought more about the family, about family life, than, than Aaron did. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But let's look at that last pasuk. The last pasuk says, Vayitzak Moshe El Hashem. Vayitzak is a form, is a word that is synonymous with prayer. It means to scream, but it doesn't mean to scream. It means very serious. Very serious whatever Moshe Rabbeinu is doing. And what did Moshe Rabbeinu do? Vayitzak Moshe Hashem Leimor. We'll get back to that word Leimor. But he davened for her. Kel no. Refor no lo. Okay? Now, if you look at the bottom of the page, there's a quote from the Gemara in Blachot. Which is... Uh, significant. means it's a story that's not compiled or composed in a Mishnah or a Brita. It's just like on the level of Maaseh. It's a story that was well known, that people told, that people accepted as being correct and truth, truthful. One of the students went to be Shaliyah Tzibur. Went to be Shaliyah Tzibur, Yerad Lefnei HaTeva. Lefnei Rabbi Eliezer. Before the great Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Lazar Godol, who was a very significant and important personality. He decided, you know, to say a very long Shmanesh. You know, everybody stands up and starts at the same time. Shmon Esrei, but they don't all finish at the same time. In fact, some people, 
some people finish long after the others. And they, it's not always clear what everybody's doing. How could it be that the Seishwan actually you could say fast, the Seishwan you could say really slow? So in this Beit Midrash of Rabbi So that we know the story already. He was davening too long. He was davening too long. Amulo Tamidah. The students of Rabbi Eliezer said to him, Rabbeinu, Kama or Kan how long is he? Look how long he davens. He's a long davener. <coughs> he says, what's it so long? Moshe Rabbeinu, that was long. Well, what, what did he do that's so long? It says about Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu sat in the mountain, on the Mount of Sinai, 40 days and 40 nights. It's not in the text, but you remember the Pasuk. I didn't eat bread and I didn't drink water. So I guess the implication of the story is that Moshe Rabbeinu was a very long davener. He davened 40 days and 40 nights. It's true that Moshe Rabbeinu went up on Har Sinai to get the Torah. But we speak of him as a davener. I mean, that's what the story says. This is such a long... You think this guy is saying a long Shemot Look at Moshe Rabbeinu. He was saying Shemot for 40 days and 40 nights. Even though we don't know that he was saying Shemot Who said he was saying Shemot Anyway, this, uh, this continues. Shuv ma'aseh b'talmid echad shirad b'fnei ha'teva b'fnei Rabbi Eliezer So on another day they got rid of the first guy and they got a, like a speedy fellow to daven Shemot Esrei. Amulo Talmidav. Kama Tatsran Uzei. Daven very fast. The Talmidim came to Rabbi Lazar and they said, Well, this guy is really fast. He does it in no time at all. Amalahan, Rabbi Lazar said, Klum Mekatsei Yotemi Moshe Rabbeinu. You think that he's shorter than Moshe Rabbeinu? Doing it faster than Moshe Rabbeinu? He says, Deftiv. Uh, El na refa na la. El na refa na la. Five words. That was his whole davening for Miriam. So no one ever made a shorter prayer than that. So he had to explain. He had to explain this Gemara. He had to explain this Gemara. Turns out that according to the Gemara, Moshe Rabbeinu was multi-talented. He could daven the longest monastery in the world. And he could have the shortest monastery in the world. Uh, another way of looking at the Gemara is that it's, it depends. You don't always dive in the same length. You don't always say Shmodashi for the same length. Sometimes you say it's long, and sometimes you say it's short. Of course, the Gemara does not explain to us why Moshe Rabbeinu during the 40 days on the mountain said it long, and why when he's talking about Miriam, he said it short. So why did he daven like that? And I told you there's an issue with the word Lamar, but let's finish the Gemara. Let's finish the Gemara. The Gemara says, where's the Gemara? Omar Rabbi Yaakov, 
Omer of Chista. Omer of Yaakov, Omer of Chista, called Avakish Rachel of Haveo, ain't served like Kirshimo. Imagine that. Everybody knows that when you go to Shul, you go to Shul, if you don't call out all the Misha uh, Beirachs, you know, for the Cholim, exactly, call out their names exactly correctly, there could be a revolution in the Shul. And the Gaboyim will be replaced. They'll first beheaded and then replaced. And here the Gemara says, I always wondered about that, even because I have a contrary nature. I always wondered, I said, what do I have to say the names for? You mean Bashamayim? Nobody knows who's sick? And nobody knows who I am trying to give a bracha to? I mean, it's a kind of a little silly, isn't it, that I have to stand there and shake the hands of the Gabbai and tell him, no, it's a bloomer bas knedel or something. But it is, because that's what I have to do? So to me, that seemed odd. But odd doesn't mean you're going to re- make a revolution. But here in the Gemara, it says it befeirish. Rabbi Yaakov, and Moshe Rabbeinu did not mention her name. Moshe Rabbeinu did not mention her name. There is one other fact that might be good to note at this time before we go on. And that's this posse from Dvarim. You see Dvarim, Paragil, posse, Kavgil, in the middle of the page that you're looking at. It says, Vatchanan al-Hashem ha'itahilimo. Vatchanan al-Hashem, Moshe Rabbeinu is talking. The parasha Vatchanan. I, I uh, appeal to God. At that time, I wanted God to let me to go, go into Eretz Yisrael. You know, the punishment was that he wouldn't go into Eretz Yisrael. He pleaded, appealed to God. Vatchanan al-Hashem Moshe Rabbeinu is talking, and he says, Le'mor. Rashi. Okay, look at the Rashi. You see the Rashi? Let's look at Like You want something for nothing. That's what Vatchanan means. You say, you say, sometimes you go to God and say, look, I deserve it. I spent a lifetime doing mitzvot. I davened a lot. I said to Hillel, I deserve it. But sometimes you go to God and you say, I know I don't deserve it. I don't deserve what I'm but I'm asking anyway. Because I know that God is merciful. And so Rashi says, Matchanan means, I want something, I don't deserve it. But I'm going to ask for it anyway. It's like children with their parents, right? The parents say, oh, if you do A, B, C, and D, then you'll get X, Right? Then the child, of course, doesn't do A or B or C or D, and comes and says, but I want X anyway, right? And so, of course, because uh, Jewish parents are that way, so they give X to their children. That's how, that's how it works. So that's called matnat chinam, when you know you don't deserve it, because there was a deal. A, B, C, or D, you get X. They didn't do A or B or C or D, but they want X anyway. That's what the Rashi is saying. You get it? Even though the tzaddikim, in this case Moshe Rabbeinu, have a lot of credit in the bank, they don't go to Kaddish Baruch and say, 
okay, I've got all the savings, give me something. I have all the savings in the banks, let, let me go to Eretz Yisrael. That's not what the Tzadikim say. <coughs> it's not what they say. The fish, Amalo, the Chanoti, the Shachon, Amalo, the Loshon, et Chanan. That's what Zed Hanan means. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I plead my case, but I don't claim that I deserve it. I don't claim that I deserve it. Dabar Acher, Zechad Me'asara Lashonot, Shemikret Tfila, Kedi'ika B'Sifre. So that's a very important comment that Rashi makes, because according to Rashi, there are different kinds of Tfila that a person might bring forth to HaKadosh Baruch. Here, the tefillah v'atchanan al Hashem is matnat chinam. It's matnat chinam. Ba'etahi, Rashi says, l'achar shekabashti eretz sichon v'og dimiti shema hutar haneda. Okay, whatever that means. We get to atchanan, we try to understand that. Leymor, you see Leymor? Ze echad mishalosh mitovot shema moshe l'fnei hamakom Eini mani chacha at shetodi eini im taaseh she'elati im lav. I'm not going to let go until you, Hakadosh Baruch Hu, tell me if you're going to grant me my wish or not. It's a different kind of prayer. It's not that Hanan, where Moshe Rabbeinu Kodesh asks for something that he doesn't really, maybe he doesn't deserve, but it's a different kind of prayer. I'm not going to let go until HaKadosh Baruch Hu answers my prayer, or tells me at least what is going to be. Rashi says, Rashi says three places, right? Rashi says three places. In another Rashi, it says five places. That doesn't interest us as much as the fact that one of the other places is our Pasuk. Vayitzak Moshe Hashem Pasuk Yud Gimel. You see in the Chumash, Vayitzak Moshe Hashem Vayomer Kel Norefon Olo Lasicha. Vayitzak Moshe Hashem Leimor. What does Leimor mean? That Moshe Rabbeinu says, I'm not going to let go until you tell me what's going to be with with Miriam. So even though the Gemara and Brochus Tavlamet Beis Abedal says that this Tefillah was a short Tefillah. And sure, it might imply to us less important, less impressive, less overwhelming. It turns out from the, from the Rashi in Vatchanan that this was one of the three or five most intense tfilot of all. Because in these five tfilot, including this one about Miriam, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu said, I'm not letting go until I find what's going to be. And that intensity changes the nature of the prayer. So the prayer was short and intense. In fact, you might say that intense demands short. But how, you can't be intense just rambling along, right? You can't be intense in that way. But you can be intense if it's, if it's short. Short and intense makes sense. So that even though even though the Gemara on Daf Lamedet, in Brochus Daf Lamedet says, Moshe Rabbeinu had a long prayer, that was Harsina. Moshe Rabbeinu had a short prayer, that was Miriam. And you might have thought that the short prayer was less important than the long prayer, or somehow that the short prayer was, you know, 
sort of hayat, he didn't really think about it too much. In fact, in fact, it turns out, according to the Zabah Chazal, that the short prayer was the intense prayer. That Moshe Rabbeinu said to Kodesh Moh, I have to find out what is going to be. By the way, we also learn from this Gemara that you don't have to mention the name of the person that you're talking to a Kodesh Moh about. And even though it's a very serious matter, even though it's a very serious matter, that Kodesh Moh uh, 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 has his own way of dealing with it, it's very rare that a person would say, Kodesh Moh, you have to tell me the answer. What's going to be with my sister Miriam? Is she going to be cured? Is she not going to be cured? That's the, that's the, the intensity here. So it's very hard to distinguish between the long tefillah and the short tefillah. Because the long tefillah might be less intense, even though it takes a long time. And the short tefillah might be extremely intense, but takes something else. In fact, I think we have to say that the two tefillot are radically different from each other. That the long tefillah, the long tefillah was not what we would call a tefillah at all. But the long tefillah of Moshe Rabbeinu, 40 days and 40 nights of Har Sinai, was Talmud Torah. And while it's true that the essential, the essential act of tefillah is connecting, that you connect somehow to the Rebbeinu Shalom, that's what tefillah is. Tefillah is that you are standing before HaKadosh Baruch It's not the text of the tefillah. But according to the Gemara, Moshe Rabbeinu and Har Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights was engaged in tefillah. And, and that engagement, for anybody who's ever, uh, you know, sort of like had this way of thinking, the uh, Nefesh uh, parts of it, parts of Nefesh HaChayim, that, that, that Talmud Torah is the essential religious experience as the Jews understand it. We don't tell people to go to ashrams. We don't tell them to take drugs. We don't tell them to try to fly off uh, into some other world. All we tell them to do is to learn the Torah and do the mitzvahs. So that learning the Torah, while there's certainly a practical side to it, like you want to be a rabbi and answer questions, or if you want to be a dayan, and sit in judgment. So there's a certain amount of knowledge that you have to have, which is, which is derived from the Torah. But if you want to experience the confrontation with God through God's Word, that makes sense to us. Does that, uh, that make sense? That's why when you finish learning Torah, you're like you learn Torah in a community. You say, Kaddish Tura You say, Kaddish. You say, God is great. God is good. God is noble. All of these things make sense. Makes sense to say Kaddish after you learn of a Chabura, of a million of people learn together. So in yeshivas, they don't say it because, because it's not everybody learning together. But if you give a shir, if you give a shir, even in yeshiva, you could say, you could say Kaddish Drabona. Because Kaddish means I'm aware of the presence of God. That's what Kaddish is. I mean, you say it in a few different words. It's Kaddalvi, it's Kaddash, right? Gilad Dalet Laman, and Kuf Dalet Shin. Shmei Rabbah. Like, why can you say a thing like that? His great name. His great name should be greater and more sanctified. Are you sure? Okay, just words. You can say that when you feel it. And when, when do you feel it? When you learn Torah. That's what, that's what, the, uh, that's what it says. So that tefillah, the word tefillah, in this whole discussion has different aspects to it. Right? Some tefillah is 
בקשה. אסם תפילה is חוויה. בקשה meaning I daven because I have something to ask for and I daven because I want to be in the state of davening. So when Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to be in the state of davening, he davened the longest Shemonesri of all times. 40 days and 40 nights. Right? He was learning Torah. He didn't eat. He didn't sleep. Because it didn't make sense to him to lose time. To lose time from this experience to eat and to sleep. That was Moshe Rabbeinu. But when he, he davened for his sister, when he davened for his sister, very intense, very quick, and lemor. And with his element of lemor. So you have here in this Gemara in Brochus, the two, uh, the, the, the two poles of, of tefillah. Right, the two kinds of tefillah that exist in the world, the experiential kind of tefillah, where you're not really asking for everything, anything. And it's really, even though in our fixed Shemona Esra, it's true, we ask for A and B and C and D, Bone, Chaye, Mizone, we ask for, for children, for long life, for food, for sustenance. We do ask for that, but we don't mean it. That's not what we're really doing. What we're really doing, I and mean, we have to say some kind of words, so we say those words, but what we're really doing is experiencing the closeness of the Rebbein That's the difficulty in prayer. It's not difficult to say what it says in the Siddur. That's easy enough. And that's why, that's why today, uh, you know, there's a certain amount of people are attacking the fact that, that prayer is not meaningful. Prayer is not meaningful. Of course prayer is not meaningful because nothing is meaningful. The whole, the whole raison of, of, uh, of existence today is to reach this exalted level where nothing means anything. And everything is just a stepping stone to the next thing. And everything you do, having done it, is worth nothing. Right? It's like no longer interesting. You rather, so that if you live in that kind of world, then, then even mitzvahs become like that. And going to shul becomes like that. It's all, it's all very difficult to overcome uh, that reality and to live in a more meaningful in a more meaningful kind of world. So that's the kind of tefillah, that's the kind of tefillah we learn about here. And that's the tefillah, that's the tefillah of Moshe Rabbeinu when he davened for, when he davened for um, his sister Miriam. And she was cured as a result of his, of his efforts. Okay, so we, we learned, we learned that, look at the second page, we learned that according to the Gemara Da'lava Be'ez Omer Aleph, you don't have to mention the name of the person that you're davening for, and we learned that from Moshe Rabbeinu. could say Moshe Rabbeinu didn't mention her name because she was standing right there, and I mean, obviously it's in the middle of the story, and what does he have to mention her name for? But that's not what Rabbi Yaakov says in the Gemara Brothers. He says you don't have to mention the name. So you remember there's a Pesach in Shemos when the Jews were kind of faced with the with the water on one side and the Egyptians coming on the back of them. Kind of an odd puzzle. What are you all gathering for? The thing that you're supposed to do now is just go, show you have faith. This play is the opposite of faith. It's sort of like saying, since I don't know what's going to happen, maybe God can help me out a little more. But if I know it's going to happen, I know I'm going to be saved, I know everything will be all right, so I march on. Rashi says, Matitake lai, the Pesach says, Matitake lai, 
Lamadnu Shaya Moshe made him mitpalel. From this we learn that Moshe Rabbeinu davened. Amalu Hakadosh Baruch Hu lohaita tal harich b'tfila sheYisrael netumim b'tzara. And this sounds exactly contrary to everything we teach our own, ourselves and our children. This Rashi. Zerashi says, Rashi says, the Kodesh Bohu said to Moshe Rabbeinu, don't have She Yisrael nitunim Right? The, the people of, of Yisrael are in trouble. Uh, so what? So why not daven? He says, no, no. Sometimes you can't daven. You have to do something. You have to act. Davening is counterindicated. You have to act. So if somebody, Chazushal, gets sick, and you decide to say kill him, instead of calling the ambulance, uh, not such a good idea. First you call the ambulance, and then when you really have nothing to do, then you say to him. That's what Rashi says. Don't scream at me, God says. Because it depends on me. I'm in charge. I am in charge. Right, doesn't really matter. I don't want to get involved in that pasuk. So, so I saw that the Panim Yafot mentions this pasuk in Yeshayahu. You see under that there's a pasuk in Yeshayahu. Vayat terem yikra'u v'ani e'neh. Terem yikra'u v'ani e'neh. Before you call to me, I will already answer you. There's something, there's something that we are enjoined to develop a kind of sensitivity that we're enjoying to develop, and that is that sometimes God is prepared to help us before we die. And we don't have to die to get that help. And that's what the Pasuk says. Even before you die, God is already prepared to, uh, to answer. So that Matitake line after all, B'nai Yisrael said, imagine B'nai Yisrael were told by Moshe Rabbeinu that they're going to Har Sinai. In order to get to Har Sinai, they have to go, they have to go across Yam Suf. But if, in fact, God had promised that they're, going to get to, that they're going to get to Har Sinai, then isn't the fact that they're stopping to daven a kind of act of, of non-belief? Uh, they don't believe that God is really going to do it. They don't believe that God really promised that they would get through. So they have to start and daven, stop and davening. If they believed what Moshe Rabbeinu told them, they would have marched on to Yamsuf. Ah, it's water. Ah, it's high. You could drown. It doesn't make any difference because God has promised that they're going to get to Har Sinai. So that when HaKadosh Baruch said to Moshe Rabbeinu, what HaKadosh Baruch was teaching Moshe Rabbeinu was that davening is not always the thing that you have to do. In fact, sometimes davening is counterindicated. Because when you know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, or when you know the promise, when you know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to take care of Am Yisrael, we're going to bring them to Chof Miftachim, to, to bring them to Har Sinai, bring them to Eretz Yisrael, then davening to get to Har Sinai seems to be odd. What are you davening about? Just go. That's, what, that's another point that's another point of davening. I would like to, uh, maybe we'll end this discussion about davening with this section of uh, the Chutim Aran, of Nachman of Ratzlov, had this to say. You see at the top of page two. Of Nachman of Ratzlov had this to say. Kishadayonim chasvi shalom govim, aksi chasvi shalom govim al-adam. 
He says, you know, Rav Nachman looked at life or looked at reality as being an ongoing struggle. There were always bad things happening. And those bad things were not just bad, but they try to affect your uh, essential faith position. You know that the Rav Nachman Abrazza believed that everything is faith. That, that salvation and faith are the same thing. And that he always encouraged, he always encouraged his Hasidim to to develop this quality of faith, of emunah. And he said that faith overcomes the questions. But he recognized the fact that even for people of faith, there was an ongoing struggle. And that's called dinim. Dinim means terrible things happen in the world. You don't know why. You don't understand why the world is subject to it, why your family is subject, why you're subject to it. You don't understand. That never makes any sense. It never makes any sense. He says, He says, if you see a person who's in terrible, terrible situation, find a person you would go to shul and say, He says, Don't mention his name. He says, because if you mention his name, you're pointing to him. You're sort of like the demon, these bad things that are happening, that they have to find him. They have to follow him around. They have to find out where he is. And if you mention his name, you're, adi- you're aiding and abetting the bad guys. So he says, he says, he says, he says, Shenoch lo karalo aviv shem beit leibato. Noach was not called. That's what Rashi says. When Noach died, so the Rashi there says that Noach didn't get his name when he was born. Lo etzahaviv became a shame. He didn't want to give him a name. Kaldeh shem niyanikar umesuyam bein hamikatrigin. He says a name is not just the default way of of calling a person. But the name gives him existence. Like the Kodesh Bo said to other Mauritians, why did name all the animals? Before that, they were just animals. But after other Mauritians gave them names, then they had a certain kind of existence. The same thing is true with a baby. A baby is born without a name. Once you give him a name, you can point to him in speech and thought. And once you can point to, point to the baby in speech and thought, then in the Katrudin, the people who are trying always to do us in have another target. And so Noah's father, Noah's father, who knew that Noah was going to save the world, right, Noah was the one with the, you remember, with the ark, and all those, that big crowd in the ark, so Noah was going to save the world. He wanted to make sure that no bad spirits would get a hold of Noah. So he didn't give him a name. He didn't give him a name. And he said, that's what happened when Moshe Rabbeinu was davening for Miriam. What happened? So in other words, this Rabbi Nachman 
is an explanation of the Gemara and Brochus. The Gemara and Brochus, Rabbi Yaakov says, you don't have to call it by a name. No, Shabbat, they didn't call it by a name. You don't have to call it by a name. The Rabbi Nachman is trying to say, you know why he didn't call it by a name? Because once you call somebody by a name, you give a chance to the Metatrigin, to all the negative elements in the world. Because what would happen would be that, the, that the, these bad spirits would dominate her. This other other Hasidus they say that even though he didn't want to mention the name, he did refer to her. How did he refer to Kina? Rafa, the Gematria, that you can't buy Rafa is 51 and Rafa is 281. The Gematria, Miriam, Yochaved, Bechuvan, Mama. So if you count the Gematrias, it comes out to Miriam, Yochaved, uh, exactly. I have a shame, a chole, the shame, right? The chola is Miriam. And her mother's name was Yochevich, and Sri Lanskir Lechole, Shemitalali Malaf. Achlora Tzalaskir Befeyush. Lora Tzalaskir Befeyush. So if we were looking for a modern idiom to explain what Rav Nachman Abratzlub was saying, I think we might say it this way. Moshe Rabbeinu Davin fast. And Moshe Rabbeinu Davin strong. And Moshe Rabbeinu knew that that was the only way he could Davin, and he Davin without mentioning her name, and that was the only way that he could do it. Because if he mentioned her name, it would be tantamount to an accusation. What could Moshe Rabbeinu say? You see my sister, Miriam, the one who has leprosy. Why does she have leprosy? Because she talked badly about Moshe Rabbeinu. That means the prayer for Miriam would be an accusation. Just mentioning her name would be the accusation of Moshe Rabbeinu against Miriam for what she did to him. So Moshe Rabbeinu is saying to himself, how did I do it? How do I dive it? If you're diving for a neutral person, you don't even know who he is sometimes, you saw it on a sign, diving for, for Moshe ben Rivka. Okay, but this is not Moshe ben Rivka. This is Miriam, my sister. How could Moshe Rabbeinu diving for Miriam, his sister, without mentioning the fact that Miriam's sister did this Avera. Talk Lash and Hara. So the only way that Moshe could do this, what Rav Nachman says, the only way that Moshe Rabbeinu could do it was by not mentioning her name at all, but according to the Gemara just talking in a general way. According to the, according to the Rashi in the Vashchan and Hashem, with strength, with power, with force, lay more. Lamar is the way that Moshe Rabbeinu said it. On the one hand, he didn't want to mention her name. And on the other hand, he wanted to make sure that it was done with the proper force and, and, and conviction that would enable HaKadosh Baruch Hu, would enable HaKadosh Baruch Hu to forgive uh, Miriam from doing, uh, from doing this transgression. So we see, I mean, it's a, it's a simple matter, right? Davening for somebody who is sick. But it's not a simple matter for dying poverty for someone who is punished. And it's not always easy to tell who's being punished and who's not being punished. And so, and so, uh, 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 Rabbi Nachman adds, 
that hidden in the statement Allah, are the names Miriam and Yocheved to give us a little direction that in this case he couldn't mention their names but in cases where you can mention their names where there's no obvious there's no obvious uh, uh, punishment involved where there was no obvious transgression then you can mention the names of the people who are sick and hope for their welfare so if you if you like try to think about all the things we learned about davening today I don't know if it'll help, but it'll open up the door to more thinking about that. Have a good chance. Do you have a minion there? Why do you what? Tell us a what? It wasn't promised us. It wasn't promised us. is a reward. It's not a promise. Going to Eretz Yisrael is a promise. Things are going to be good. If you keep the mitzvot. If, no, no, if you keep the mitzvot. Okay. Okay. Right, but the government has to be done. What? No, that's not a promise. That's a condition. In other words, if you do what you're supposed to do, then you will be rewarded, if then. But going to Eretz Yisrael for the people who left Mitzrayim was clearly the purpose. It wasn't conditional. That was where they were supposed to go, so they should have had faith that that's where they would end up. As apparently they did at the time of Shira Sayyam. Because in Shira Sayyam, the people said, Mikdash Hashem Yadecha. They talked about the Beit HaMikdash. This is not only the history of Yitzhak Mitzrayim until Yam Suf, but it's also the history of Yitzhak Mitzrayim until, until they get to Eretz Yisrael and build the Beit HaMikdash. Okay. Is there a minion? Yes. What? No? Okay. Oh, you must still live with Where do you live now? You still live in I know. So you're slumming? Okay. How are you doing? Why is it that um, the incident with Zipporah is not triggered this, this whole incident? I think it's going to be a loss of honeybooks. I think, uh, I mean, I don't know uh, exactly what the answer is, but I think it's because that family, how you should be with your family, is something that everybody thinks they understand. And they thought, Miriam and Aaron thought that they were at least as, as competent as Moshe Rabbeinu to answer questions of that kind. Although I admit that it's not obvious. <laughs>